Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. We pray that this message would encourage and enrich your life. For more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com. Hey, we're uh, so glad to have you here this morning, and we're so glad to have our, our very special guests here with us, the Pritchetts uh, from Kansas City. And, uh, you know, I've, I've said before that the beautiful thing about church is the gospel brings people together that maybe normally wouldn't go on vacation together, you know? We are all different people from all different types of walks of life, but the gospel brings us together. Today, however, we do have some guests here that are the kind of people, at least, that my wife and I would vacation with and have vacationed with. These are some of our uh, dearest friends on the planet. Even if we go months and months of being busy and not talking, when we do get together, it's like we haven't, you know, like we see them every day. And so they mean the world to us, and, and uh, Josh is a, an excellent communicator and minister. But I'm just going to speak the truth. Ashley is one of my favorite preachers in the world, and so would you give a bluff first welcome to Ashley Pritchett this morning? I still love you, Josh. You're, you're up there, but Ashley, we're so proud of her and all that God's using her for, and so it's going to be awesome. Get your Bibles ready. She's going she's gonna to kill it. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be with you guys, and I, you know this already, but you have the best pastors. Your pastors are incredible, and they love you very much. Uh, There's not a time when we are together and when they're not talking about how much they love you and this church and this community, and you guys are incredible. We look up to you so much, and we laugh a lot, so it's it's good. It's just good to be with you guys. Um, Actually, this is my favorite Sunday of the whole year, and uh, it's what I call Christmas Sunday because Thanksgiving is officially behind us. And I don't have anything against Thanksgiving. I just really, really love Christmas. And I came from a family where you couldn't do anything Christmas-related until you got through, you know, celebrated, I mean, Thanksgiving. So um, my husband and I, though, we've broken that tradition, and we've already baked a load of cookies. We've watched the movies, the music. It's been playing in our house. Anybody else? Like, you're already in Christmas mode? Yes, you're my people. Uh, we, are cel- we are in full-on Christmas mode. Our tree is up, so when we get home tonight back to Kansas City, Our house is just like ready for Christmas. I just love it so much. And um, one of my favorite things about Christmas is just the lights. It's just magical and beautiful. And we we don't go like crazy on our house, but our neighbors do. Like our neighborhood is so serious about exterior illumination. They they like hire people to put up their lights. And so I think they have a picture um, of this house down the street from mine. It's our our friends, the Bassos. And they hired these people to do, and the picture doesn't do it justice, but you know when you pull into the neighborhood and the house is all lit up and it's so beautiful, and so they're ready to go, and that's because we have a contest in our neighborhood. This is going to be the second annual uh, Christmas light contest. There's like 75 houses in our neighborhood, and everyone gets all decked out, and then we have a night where we drive through, and then you go on the HOA page and you get to vote for the best house. And so last year when they announced the contest, I called my husband. I'm like, babe, they're having a, a light contest in the neighborhood. And I was pumped because I knew that like every house would be lit up. It was going to be so awesome. And also like I love a holiday contest. I really do. Like I was the girl in college. I went to Evangel University and they had a dorm floor decorating contest. We decided to do like Christmas in Hawaii or something beachy like that. And so I went and I got live goldfish and hung them from Ziploc bags in the ceiling so that we could win a $100 Papa John's gift card. Like, I'm serious about holiday contests, so I'm like, babe, we, we got to win, but there's no way that we're going to win like when people are hiring professionals to put up their lights, except 
they had a category for kids' favorite, and get this, most inflatables. I was like, we could go for most inflatables. And he was like, not only are we not going for most inflatables, we're going for no inflatables at all in our yard. He hates them. He hates, like, I'm sorry, I don't want to offend anyone, but if you have, like, the lights that just, like, project onto your house, like, I think those are awesome. We could do a bunch of those. He's like, we're not doing those. And so I did what any good wife would do, and I went and got a couple of inflatables. And so I think there's a picture too, it's our house last year, I just got two little ones. And he came home from work and he's like, what are those doing in our house? I'm like, see, this is just like a vision of what could be we could add to the collection. He's like, no more inflatables. So I left those there for the season and I'm on the hunt for like a 10 foot polar bear or like a big Santa. I just want a bunch of inflatables um, because I just, I love Christmas so much. And I don't care who you are. You can be like, I hate inflatables. Like my Grinch over here. But if you see them, you slow down and you, there's something in your inner child that you're like, this is awesome. I kind of like it. So I just want to be that house, but that's um, still left on our to-do list for this season. Uh, I'm sure that your to-do list is jam-packed as mine is. We have to like bake the cookies. We got to get the teacher gifts and we got to get the grandparent gifts and we got to get the coworker gifts and we got to get like the gift gifts and the Santa gifts and all the gifts on the list. We've got like the, sh- the show's at the show, the program, you know, at school. My kids are in the pr- school program. We've got the program at church for them. Like, our list goes on and on and on, and it's just the Christmas season. But then you, like, it gets a little complicated because not only do you have, like, your to-do list is longer than normal, you also have complicated family drama. You have, um, like, unmet expectations. You've got added financial pressure, you've got grief and all the things that go with it, you've got comparison, you've got the elf on a shelf, you've got all the things. And Christmas can be really awesome, but Christmas time can also just be a lot. It can just be a lot because we don't get to take a pause from normal life in December. So we also have all of the normal stuff like working a job and raising our kids and going grocery shopping. We've got dealing with our aging aging parents. You've got to pay the bills. You've got to, to deal with the mental illness that you're battling with. You have all of the normal, regular January through November stuff of life, and you add that with Christmas. And if you're like me and you're honest, you can maybe show up at the party with a smile on your face, but what you're feeling is maybe just a lot of added pressure. There's a lot of added pressure. And even if you're like a Christmas lover like me, December can amplify the normal stress and like the, the little moments to be, elicit big emotions. Like the little incidents can just like set you over the top because there's just a lot going on. And I don't know if this resonates with you, but... I just felt like the Lord maybe was speaking to my heart and wanted to speak to your heart today that he just wants to take off the pressure. That Jesus came to just take off the pressure and not from Christmas because cookies or no cookies or stockings or candy canes, whatever, it's, it's all just stuff. But we know that there is real life pressure that we walk through day in and day out. And Jesus came to remind you that he can take off the pressure. If you'll let him today, I believe you could actually walk out of here with the pressure taken off of your life. Because the word of God says that, that he, Jesus came to give you life and give you life abundantly. To give you life abundantly. And when I look at the way I live and the way my family lives and even sometimes the way the people in our church live, it doesn't look very abundant. But, but Jesus didn't come and give his life on a cross just so we could spend eternity with him forever. He came so that we could live abundantly now and every day until then. An abundant life means that, that the pressure is taken off of our lives. This isn't like a cute idea. 
It's not like a fluffy message. It's not about, you know, just being optimistic or putting on rose-colored glasses or seeing the glass half full. This is about the fact that our God came and, and he did say, Jesus said, in this world, you'll have trouble. It will be hard and it will be heavy and you will face very overwhelming things. However, take heart. He came to overcome the world. And I actually believe that we as the people of God can live in December of 2021 with all of the junk and all of the things that we walk through and all of the pressure that we can live through that and and he can take the pressure off of our lives. It doesn't mean we're not going to feel the pressure. It just means that we're not going to live under its weight. And in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. He will give you rest for your weary soul today. Whatever you're walking through, whatever your circumstances are, Jesus wants to give you rest Jesus said that he would trade you burdens and that it would be light and easy to bear. And I want to look this morning not only at the words of Jesus, but at his mom in the Christmas story, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and how she lived this out. In just a second, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, if you want to find that in your Bible or your Bible app. But if you want to talk about pressure, Mary, the mother of Jesus 2,000 years ago, knew a thing or two about living through pressure. She existed on the planet during a time when there was, it was crazy. There was extreme turmoil happening. There was political unrest. There was spiritual darkness. There was religious tension. There was oppressive rule. There was a lot of things happening that maybe feel a little bit like what we are experiencing now. And yet God comes down, reveals himself to Mary, and tells her that she, he's giving her his son. And that if she, would, if she would say yes, she would, she would give birth to the Son of God. But she was a, a young virgin girl who would be doubted, she would be ridiculed, she would face hardship. And yet here we find her in Luke's gospel, just willing to go through it at Christmas time. And I just feel like as we read the story, you're going to see that Mary felt the pressure, but she didn't live underneath of the pressure. In Luke chapter 126, we're going to read a lot of verses, many of them you're probably familiar with if you've heard the Christmas story, but it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me fulfilled. Then the angel left her. You can skip down to chapter two in verse four. Joseph went up from Nazareth 
in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room for them available. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard about it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things in her heart and was meditating on them. Mary is a young girl, a teenage girl at the time, and she was minding her own business when an angel of the Lord appears out of nowhere and says, you're going to have a baby. And she's like terrified. She is freaked out. She's like, wait, what? <laughs> what is happening? And you know, when I read the word of God, I find comfort in the fact that I see humanity just like me. Like Mary's not some superstar Jesus girl who like isn't fr- freaked out by what is happening in front of her. Like an angel, this is an this is not an ordinary experience for her. She's not accustomed to like angels appearing in front of her and she is totally, it says she's terribly afraid. And I just feel like if an angel showed up right here today, like I would probably be terribly afraid. And yet Mary's, you know, just fully human in the scripture. She's, here's a far-fetched story of how God is going to give her a baby. She can't even understand how this would happen. And here's what I find from Mary's life in this, is that your feelings don't dictate how God responds to you. Your feelings don't dictate how God responds to you, because Mary shows us you can be fearful and you can be favored. You can feel afraid, but that doesn't dictate how God is going to respond to you and to your life, because Mary's afraid, and God, God doesn't you know, tell the angel, like, come back, let's find somebody else who's more brave. He doesn't shame her. He's not disappointed in her. He doesn't change the plan. He waits on Mary to, to, be, to move forward in obedience, and God's plan for your life is not dependent on your feelings. God's goodness and his faithfulness to you is not tied to how well you manage your anxiety. God's feelings towards you don't shift and change based on how much courage you feel. Your feelings don't dictate how God responds to you. And your feelings don't have to dictate how you respond to God. Because Mary was fearful, but she was also faithful. Mary felt afraid, and yet she moved forward in a faithful obedience to what God says for her to do. We see seven verses later in this conversation, Mary's like, okay, I'll do it. Your servant is willing. May it be as you said. And Mary is initially fearful, but as she steps forward in obedience, her, her, faithfulness, her fear turns to faithfulness. Our feelings do not have to have an impact on how we respond to God. God cares about your feelings. Your emotions matter to them, but his faithfulness to you outweighs how you feel. God's faithfulness is more, carries more weight than how you feel. You may feel overwhelmed. You may feel alone. You may feel pressure. You may feel stressed. You may feel scared at the un- unknown, but you don't have to live surrendered to your feelings. You can live surrendered to your faithful God. And that's what Mary was. First, she was willing to let God's faithfulness outweigh her feelings. When we read that verse in Matthew where Jesus says that he would trade us burdens and he would give us something that is easy and light, that we could find rest in him, what he says is he would trade you burdens, which means you have to be willing to trade him first. 
You have to be willing to trade. It's an active verb, something you're willing to do. You have to be willing to let God take the pressure off your life. And I don't have all the details of how Mary responded or the conversation she was having behind the scenes, but the details we do read in this story, she's calm and humble, surrendered, submitted. She has a worshipful spirit and a joyful heart. This angel comes out of nowhere. He explains the plan to her, and she asks one question, like, how is this going to happen? And in my opinion, the angel gives her a very vague response, like, if it were me, I would ask more questions. I would ask for like a guarantee that this is going to be okay at the end. I would have been like, but tell me how. <laughs> how are we going to get there? Or how is this going to work out? Or promise me that I'm going to be okay if I say yes. Like, can you get it in writing that this is going to all work out? But Mary doesn't ask any of those questions. And I think when we read the word of God, it's easy to, to, to um, discount some of the characters that we read about. Their yes, their willingness to be part of the story. Because we, we've already seen the end. Like we know it works out for Mary. We know that she births Jesus. We know that Joseph does marry her. We know that she gets to raise the son of God. She knew none of that when she says, let it be for me as you said. She didn't know the end of the story. She didn't even know the next chapter. And Mary was engaged to Joseph at the time, and Joseph could have been like, you are on your own. Joseph could have caused a great scandal. At that time, an unwed pregnant woman could have been stoned to death. She could have been shamed. She could have been put out and, and forced into a life of prostitution. Literally, an angel of God shows up and says, God is asking you to do something that could literally ruin your life. And with almost no question, she said, let be for me as you said. Because Mary trusted not in her emotions, she trusted in her God. Mary responded with a willing heart and a willing life because she trusted that God would do what only God could do. She trusted that the God who had always done it would be the God who would do it. So she assumes the business of carrying the Son of God and birthing him and dedicating him and raising him and then offering him up as a sacrifice for all of mankind. She, she raised the Son of God, and I think it all hinges here. We read it this morning in Luke 1.37. The angel says to Mary, for no word from God will ever fail. No word from God would ever fail. Mary knew that nothing God had ever said that he would do, did he fail at that. Not one word from the beginning of time that has ever come from the mouth of God or the word of God has ever or will ever fail. And Mary trusted in that rather than her feelings. She trusted that the eternal faithfulness of her God would outweigh the momentary feeling she was having in that moment. Not one word from God will ever fail. She's like, not my plan, not my pressure. I'm surrendered and submitted to you. When I was a student at Evangel University, I got a roommate. She was a, a missionary kid from South Africa. And so she shows up, and she'd been in the country like weeks. And so because of that, she just got her driver's license like days before. In fact, we were driving, and my parents were following us to like the Walmart or something. And my dad pulled me aside later. He's like, don't you ever get in her car. But her car was cooler than mine, so she always drove. So I would get in her car, and uh, we would go uh, uh, you know, all over town and out to eat and whatever, but she, like, she was a total spaz and just so crazy. And so what would happen is that we would get like, into a traffic jam, and she wouldn't know what to do, and she would freeze up, so she would just pull over. And then she was all frazzled. Or we would get into a parking lot, and she couldn't, like, it was a tiny car, but she couldn't like, maneuver it into the parking space. And so she never parked her car. So she would pull up 
and then she would just get out, and I would get in the driver's seat, and that's also scary, because I'm not a great driver, but I would park her little car, or I would pull us back on the highway and get us out of the traffic jam, and I, w- I would drive her car for a little bit till she was like, calm down, and then we would switch again, and Tracy would take us on our way. And it's just fun and funny, but um, I think I do that with Jesus. I'm like, hey, get in. Here we go. I got a plan. I know where I'm going. I've got control. I can handle it. And then things like get into a jam, and I'm like, hang on, hang on. Okay, we'll switch. Like, literally take the wheel. You know, Jesus, take the wheel. But, and then I let him kind of control things. But once things are calm again, or once I've got a handle, or once I don't like the direction that he's taking us, I'm like, hang on. Let's switch back. We'll just switch back. And we do that with Jesus. We like white knuckle our lives and try to maneuver where we want to go, manipulate the situation how we want it. We want to cram it all in. We want to do it all. And, and it's no wonder that we're stressed out and we're overwhelmed because we're trusting in our abilities and our feelings and our plans and our agenda rather than the God who's been faithful from the beginning of time. And I just want to remind you this morning, he's always been faithful. He's been faithful. He is faithful. He will always be faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, even when we're faithless, he is faithful. It says in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you. Hebrews 10.23 says, hold on to hope because he who promised is faithful. Psalm 33.4 says, all his work is done in faithfulness. In Psalms 86, it says that he is abounding in faithfulness, like it will never run out. And he says in Psalm 91, his faithfulness is a shield and a wall. It's armor and protection. And you can read on and on and on through the word of God at just how faithful he is. And so this morning, I encourage you to fight your feelings with his faithfulness. To fight your feelings with the faithfulness of God. Well, how do you do that in a practical standpoint? I take my Bible app and I go to the plans and I search like faithfulness of God. Or I search something that I'm going through like fear or provision. I look to the word of God to resource my heart and my mind to help me to see the faithfulness of God. I go on Google and I search like Bible verses about fear, Bible verses about miracles, and I compare it to the word of God and make sure it's you know, true and not Google, but you, you take the word of God and you get it in your spirit. I carry a physical Bible with me every single place that I go because I like to hold it. I like to hold it to remind myself that the promises that are in this word are as real as the paper that's in my hand. You can hold it. You can stand on it. You can stand by it. I put a promise on repeat, something that I know that I know that I know that I can cling to in a moment when things feel overwhelming, like I know he'll never leave me. He will never leave me. He will never leave me. Or he brings good for all who love him. He will bring good out of all things. He brings good out of all things. I find one promise that I can cling to and repeat till my heart until I, I feel it in my spirit. I get out my journal and I write down the faithfulness of God in my life and the things I've seen him do. I don't know if you've been saved like five minutes or five years, but God has been faithful to bring you to today. God has done something to bring you here to today, and you need to write that down. So in a moment tomorrow, when things feel overwhelming and weak, and you don't know if you're going to make it to the next moment, you can flip back through the pages of that journal, and you can flip back through the word of God, and you can trace his hand of faithfulness from the beginning of time to this moment in time, and all of a sudden, your feelings are not only triumphed by the faithfulness of God, they're transformed by the faithfulness of God. Your fear 
becomes faith. Your stress becomes surrender. Your anxiety is quieted by the peace that pervades your spirit, and on and on. Jesus said he'd trade you burdens, but you have to be willing to place yours in his hand. The second thing I see this morning is this, is worship turns worry to wonder. I love that y'all have been in a series on, on worship and we've been following along on social media. There's nothing like being in the presence of God. Is the presence of God comes in and it changes our present circumstances. It might not change your circumstances, but it changes you in your circumstance. And when you worship, you invite the presence of God with, with all its joy, with all its peace, with all its promises into the circumstances you're walking through. And in Luke chapter one, after Mary has this encounter with the angel, she's terrified. I'm sure she's got like crazy adrenaline running. She's shaking. She, she retreats to a time with her cousin and she breaks out in a worship session. She writes a song to the Lord and she says in Luke 147, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And you can read in Luke chapter one that Mary goes on and she begins to, to describe back to God all of the ways he's been faithful to his people and the way that he has carried them. And in spirit and soul, she praises God for what he's done and for what he's going to do. And when Mary praises God for what he's done, I think that gives her faith to believe for what he's going to do. And we could learn from Mary to, to build a foundation of what we know God has done that will be a well for us to draw from when we need strength for what he's going to do. If I will, will build a foundation by being in his word and being in his presence and listening to his voice and learning who he is and what he has done, I can draw from that well in future circumstances when I don't know what he's going to do, when I don't know how he's going to th come through, when I don't know how it's going to work out. I challenge you to know God and be familiar with what he's done so that you'll be able to sing a song of worship for all he is going to do. And I want to draw your attention to the fact this morning that Mary began to worship before anything was worked out. I mean, she's pregnant, but she's at, a, at her cousin's house. Joseph hasn't agreed to marry her. She doesn't know how this is all going to flesh out. She hasn't really told anyone yet. I'm sure there was so much fear and anxiety of what would be to come. But she begins to worship God before he's moved, before he's done anything on her behalf. She's already calling his work good. And she wasn't alone. I want to take a sidetrack for a second. If you read this account with the shepherds, the angel comes to the shepherd and says, like, the savior of the world is going to be born. Go to Bethlehem. You're going to find him there. So they do, and we read it this morning, and they find Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And then it says that the shepherds return worshiping, that they go back worshiping. And when I read that, it just stuck out to me that the, the shepherds return back to their same old circumstances. They return back to their same old job. They met Jesus before he'd done one miracle, before he'd spoken one syllable. They met Jesus as a young infant child, and he'd never done one thing for them. And yet they returned back to their work worshiping because the Savior of the world was on the scene. And they knew that because he was there that he would move, that he would do something. So they returned. I want to encourage you this morning. You you can return to work tomorrow worshiping before your situation with your boss has changed. 
You can return to the doctor's office tomorrow worshiping before you've gotten the prognosis that you want to see. You can return to your marriage. You can return to your family relationship before God has moved because because he's done it before and because he said he will do it, we can return worshiping that he will. And as we worship, our worry turns to wonder. I'm like a worrier by nature. My husband can tell you stories, but Sometimes when I'm worried, you know, when we even just say that word, you're like, you are frazzled, you are frantic, you can feel your heart beating in your chest, and you are anxious and restless. But when you are wonder, a spirit of, of wonder, to me, that's like calm. That's peaceful. That's like deep breaths. That's like savoring the moment. Like I think of, I think of being at wonder. It's like a kid at Christmas. You walk in and it's like magical. It's like snow falling and it's beautiful and you're taking it in and you're savoring the moment. That's what Mary did. Mary wasn't worrying or whining or complaining or frazzled or frantic. She was savoring the moment in this story. To wonder means a feeling of admiration and surprise caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. Something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. I can like, identify with Mary in, in feeling a wonder in something beautiful. Like she had a baby and Jesus was human. Like he was a real baby. And so she's wandering at the moment. But you know what? Mary had a spirit of wonder even though this was like unexpected and unfamiliar territory. I do not wonder at unfamiliar things. I want to control them. I want to change them. I want to figure it out. Like I want to know, I Google the end of the movie before it's, we watch it, okay? I read the end of the chapter before I start the beginning of the book. Some of you are like, you are not my people. I know. But I don't like the unfamiliar. I don't like being out of control. What I do like, though, is being in the presence of God. I do like being under his control. I do like it when the God of the universe, he can, he can change everything. He can do it all. He's in it all. In a book about this very subject by She Reads Truth, it says this, though Mary had plenty of chances to act from her flesh, she chose to serve the Lord by savoring her collection of things she knew to be true, fiercely clinging to the treasured promises of God, holding up each unfolding circumstance to what she knew to be true, actively fighting for the truth with the truth. Your feelings are not the truth. Your circumstances are not the truth. What things look like around you in our world, that's not the absolute truth. The truth is in this word. The truth is the son of God. And so we can fight for truth with truth by pressing into the word of God, by knowing our God, by relationship with our God, fiercely clinging to the treasured promises of God, holding up each unfolding circumstance to what we know to be true. We can place our circumstances next to the word of God and find the truth, and then begin to worship. I know you've been in this study, this last series on worship, what that means for you practically, but putting your heart in an attitude of worship. For me, that looks like playing worship music in my car, and in my home, and in my ears, and everywhere I go to set the attitude of my heart to to make an atmosphere of worship to remind me of who God is and what he's going to do. For me, My worry turns to wonder when I worship by disciplining my mind, not to recount the problems, not to recite like the hard things in our life, not to complain about everything around me that's going wrong that looks wrong. It looks like recounting the faithfulness of God to me and around me and for me. It looks like praying scripture. Sometimes I just open the Psalms and begin to pray scripture over my kids and over my marriage and over their schools and over our world and our circumstance, being in the word of God, worshiping by reading scripture. 
I choose to worship before God moves on my behalf. That's a decision that we have to make. To choose an attitude and a posture of worship before he's moved in the middle of the mess, in the midst of the circumstance. And if you will do that, your worry will turn to wonder. Nathan is coming back up. We're getting ready to close. But I just, if I was totally vulnerable with you today and I talked with some after the the last service, is that none of us are immune to that, to this. We all feel pressure We all go through hard things. This world is heavy and it is hard. And it's a daily choice to decide to surrender our heart, our feelings to God. And a couple of years ago, my husband and I were just going through a lot in our family. We had a family member living with us who was battling an addiction and it was chaos. We had work problems and financial problems and just felt like you ever feel like you're in a season where the waves just keep like crashing over and you can't catch your breath before the next one comes and I was just crumbling I was crumbling as a mom I was unhappy I was mean I was hard to be around and just grumpy I was just at my limit so every day I would leave and I would go on this run on this road outside of our um, neighborhood it's like where I just get my endorphins and just take a breath and leave. And so I had, um, I would blare music in my ears and I would just sob. I just run, the neighbors probably thought I was nuts. And I, but I just, every day was just out pounding the pavement back and forth, um, just trying to, to get a grip on what was happening. And one day I just remember I had just, I just had it. I was just completely on my limit and I'm jogging, really hobbling and I'm sobbing and I finally just stopped in the middle and I just, I screamed out to God, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And not in an audible way, but in a way that you just know that you know that you know that God is speaking to you. I I heard God say, you're right, but I can. This is too much for me to handle, God. I can't figure this out. I can't fix it. I have no control over the people in my life and the decisions they're making, and I can't do this anymore. You're right, but I can. And in that moment and in that season, God took me to a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I became obsessed with this verse because I'm like, Lord, I'm going to need your help if I'm going to be content in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities and the things that my life feels like right now. And certainly I am weak, but your word says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And the Holy Spirit illuminated something for me in this verse when Paul writes, my power is made perfect in weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. When he writes, may rest on me, the word in there actually means so that the power of Christ may tabernacle over me. A tabernacle at that time is a tent. It's like a giant tent. So what what Paul is writing here is that the power of Christ tabernacles over us, tents around us. When you're in a tent, you're safe from the elements. When you're in a tent, you're secure from what's happening around you. When you're in a tent, you can rest and you can sleep. And when you're in a tent, you walk up to it. You don't see what's inside. You see the tent. And I clung to that verse that if the power of Christ is tabernacling around me, then you don't see me. You see the power of Christ around me. And no matter what would come, no pressure that would try to lay on me could get to me because the power of Christ was covering me. And I want to remind you this morning that the power of Christ has come. If you feel weak, when you're weak, then you're strong. 
and that God has come to tabernacle around you, to encamp around you. I do want to say too that if you're struggling, this isn't about, about more pressure to like be okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to say, I can't do this anymore. It's okay to say things are hard and things are heavy. This isn't at all about you getting your life together. This is about you saying, I can't do this, but God can in and around and for me, but I'll, I have to choose to be willing to trade it with him. I have to choose to be willing to surrender my feelings and my plan and my circumstance to the faithfulness of our God who has the best plan, who always works it out, who has all the resources, who can do anything, and then to choose to worship, to choose to worship now before he's moved, to choose to worship now before I've seen him work it out in the middle of my circumstance. I had a youth pastor who drilled it into our heads as kids that right emotions follow right decisions. That if you will make the decision to trade your burdens with, with Jesus, if you'll make the decision to worship today, no matter what's going on around you or in you or in your life, that, that right emotions will follow. And that's not because of any emotion you could conjure up. That's because the Spirit of God will move in your life. He said it, and he will do it. He will transform your heart and your mind and your life. And it's not that you won't feel the pressure, but you don't have to live under the weight of it anymore. I'm going to pray in just a minute, and then I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond in one of three ways. If you want to come and find a place down front, and just get with Jesus and talk to him about the pressure in your life and let him know you want to trade that burden with his, I'd invite you to do that. There's also going to be leaders in the back. If there's something that you're walking through and you want specific prayer, they would love to pray with you and believe with you for your circumstance. But then Nathan's going to play and sing a really, a song just very appropriate for this message. And we all have the opportunity this morning to just choose to worship. So would you stand all over this place? I want to pray for you and with you, and then I'd just invite you to respond in whatever way the Holy Spirit's leading you. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in this house, God. I thank you that you came, and I thank you for Christmas time, and I thank you, God, for what you're doing. But I know, God, that in my own life and in our lives, Lord, that there are things that are hard and are heavy, Lord, that there are things that people in this room are carrying but they don't know if they can do it even one more minute, God. And I pray this morning as we make a choice to trade burdens with you that you would come and that you would lift those burdens. God, I pray that people would walk out of here, that I would walk out of here, that we would walk out of here, God, with rest in our spirit, with a lightness in our spirit. Lord, that individuals in this room would literally feel you taking the burden off of their back and carrying it for them. This morning, God, we choose we choose to trade burdens with you. We choose to surrender to you. We choose to let your faithfulness outweigh our feelings, God, and we choose to worship you. God, we acknowledge that you can do it, that you are moving, that you will move, God. We wanna worship you not only for what you've done, but God, we wanna worship you for what we believe you are going to do. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com.